Well, good morning, everybody. And happy Mother's Day to all of our moms out there. Thank you. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you so much uh, just for the blessing that we get to gather and still freely worship your word and serve you. Uh, just give us wisdom and guidance as we study this morning. And uh, Holy Spirit, just you please take over and um, speak through me in Christ in my pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so there's a few um, new faces that kind of don't know me. Uh, this one's for Mike and anyone else listening uh, online. As I explained a little bit of before, my name is Sean Kirk. Um, I'm actually a financial advisor. I'm not a scientist. That's not my job. Um, however, I was in my second year of medical school at UCLA before God pretty much radically got a hold of me. Um, I won't go into the long story, just kind of because we got a lot to cover today, so I'll keep it the Reader's Digest version. But anyways, I ended up dropping out of medical school in my second year. Um, couldn't deal with all the evolutionary stuff anymore, and enrolled in Bible college. Um, well, uh, it was a dual major in theology and also business administration and, and equity research and finance. So here I am because after um, Bible college, I finished my business degree because it was great, you know, great degree to have. And here I am, I can able to defend God's word and, and teach theology. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, how do I support my family? I can think deep thoughts about being unemployed, but I can't eat. Hence the business degree. But we get to use this degree for the glory of God, which is amazing. Um, and I'm very, very happy about that. Okay, so if you guys remember, we were talking about the creationist timeline, okay? So if you take a look at the book of Genesis and you just kind of work backwards, right? And you can see this on the first slide. Adam was about 130 years old when Seth was born. And Seth was 105 when Enos was born. And Enos was 90 when Canaan was born. So you can add up these timelines. And it gives us a, a creation event right around 4,000 BC, about 6,000-ish years ago. Hey, Mary. So... That is one of the first things that I ended up doing um, after I, I got saved um, and left medical school because I was trying to disprove the Bible and I was trying to disprove Christianity. So today what we're starting, um, one of my favorite subjects, we're starting the Garden of Eden, the Flood, and Dinosaurs. So this is going to be a fun time. Um, does anyone know a very specific species of dinosaur? No, not really? Okay. Well, the, the break, what's that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, are you familiar with pterodons and T-Rex and Brachiosaurus, things like that? Okay, so the Brachiosaurus, he was about 85 feet long. Huge, huge dinosaur. It weighed between 30 and 80 tons. However, there's a problem. Their nostrils were about the same size as a modern day horse's nostrils. How do they get enough oxygen? in there. Did they suffocate or were there, was there a different atmosphere on earth right around 6,000 years ago? I believe there was. Jesus said that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. So the question begs, when was the beginning? Jesus said it was from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And the Bible teaches for by one man, Adam sent into the world and sin brought forth death. So here we have, and you can guys see how evolution and creation science, as far as biblical creation science, are really diametrically opposed, right? Evolution teaches death brought forth man, and the Bible clearly teaches man is the one responsible to bringing forth death, right? And these two views are completely and totally opposite. 
So this morning, if we have time, I want to cover a couple things. What was it like before the flood? Is it possible for a person to live over 900 years? I think so, because you can learn a lot in 900 years. Many folks haven't thought about this, but do you realize that Adam spoke every single language in the world? <laughs> there was only one, but he was also married to the prettiest girl in the world, but there's that. But I'm married to the prettiest girl now. <laughs> Textbooks will tell our kids that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. Well, is that true? Did dinosaurs live millions of years ago, or have they always lived with man? And they, we just had different names for them. I believe we did. Uh, when you look at ancient literature, we used to call them dragons, right? The word dinosaur wasn't even invented until 1851, okay? Here we have a piece of pottery where we take a look and we can see a picture of a dinosaur on it. And I've mentioned the Inca stones, and we'll get into that, right, um, in Inca Peru. It's about 63,000 different um, volcanic rocks. So it's that shiny glass, that shiny black glass. And they had painted pictures of dinosaurs on them. Now, you're like, okay, well, that's neat. Maybe it was part of their legends and just happens to coincide. Okay, um, except in the late 90s, we ended up finding fossilized dinosaur skin. Uh, we'd never found skin before. And when we found that skin, it was interesting. It was scaly, like we thought. I mean, they're giant reptiles, right? And it had kind of circles on it. And the Inca stones, they had painted the skin scaly with circles on it. How would they know that? Um, in Lubbock, Texas, Mike preached on this quite a few months ago. Um, there is a fossilized riverbed, and you can see human footprints, right, um, embedded in the riverbed, and you can see dinosaur footprints next to it, and you can also see the human footprints inside of the dinosaur footprints. River. What's that? River. Yep, the Pluxy River, right. Um, except there's a problem. Someone didn't like that evidence, and they took a chunk of rebar and went and smashed it all up, um, so it's no longer visible today. I know. Right. So what was the original creation like? What did they eat before the flood? What will it be like uh, in the thousand-year reign of Christ when the Lord fixes things like they used to be? Where did the water from the flood come from? Where did it go? The Bible says there were giants in the earth in those days in Genesis 6-4. Were there really giant people on this earth over 10 feet tall? We'll get into that. Not today, sorry. But we will be getting into that. So hang on, we're going to try and cover as much of this as we possibly can. So let's go, okay? The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, knowing this, first, in the last days there shall be scoffers. Did you guys know that there are people that scoff at the Bible? I was one of them. thought it was absolutely ridiculous. The scoffers say, um, well, the scoffers, the Bible says, are going to be walking after their own lusts, right here in 2 Peter. So we come to think... Uh, the reason that people scoff at the Bible is because of their science. That's not true, as I can attest from my own personal salvation. It's because of their own lusts. That is what makes them inherently against the scriptures, right? Um, they're, they're warring with God because of what they want to have happen inside of them. They will say to us, since the disciples died, all things have continued the way they always have. Doesn't this sound familiar, guys? I've been talking about a theory by a guy named Charles Lyell, right? Uniformitarian geology. That the process we see today is the same that it always has been. It's kind of interesting, don't you think? That Peter wrote that thousands of years 
before Charles Lyell was even born and even had this idea, that God had the foresight to know that this would be an issue that we would be dealing with. For this, in 2 Peter 3, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So the Bible tells us that they are willingly ignorant. In the Greek, what does this mean? Dumb on purpose, right? By choice. By choice. It really is. Just as I was. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful uh, that I have the history that I do because I can realize and sympathize with these people because I was once there. I understand why you are so wanting to run away from God because it just completely um, flies in the face of everything that you want to do in your own life. So we see here the scoffers are purposefully dumb on two things, okay? What are they dumb on? They're ignorant of how God made the heavens by his word. That's the first part, okay? The second, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now that is a very strange phrase, don't you think? That's a really weird way for Peter to have written that. The heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So the second thing they're ignorant of is the flood. The world being overflowed with water perished. 2 Peter 3, 6. And the third thing that they are ignorant of is the coming judgment. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. See, the scoffers do not want to admit that God created the world because that means what? He owns it, right? That's a very serious problem for those of us that are living for ourselves and living in our own flesh. Sorry, I'm a bit behind on my slides. Okay. Now here's something I'm pretty passionate about. Um, has anyone ever heard of any of the different theories postulated to try and make scripture um, fit with evolutionary ideas? Um, there's a couple of them called the gap theory or the day age theory or progressive creationism. Um, I don't want to <laughs> get too passionate, but those really, really upset me. Um, the, the reason being that they upset me is because they try to make scripture do something that it should never have been done in the first place. Okay, now is Bible is the Bible at war or at odds with science? No, absolutely not. I mean, the, the book of Job teaches wonderful science. Um, one of my teachers at the Institute of Creation Research down in Santee, California, um, he's now with the Lord, Dr. Dwayne Gish, he taught an entire earth science class based on the book of Job. 100% college level class, okay? I mean, amazing science is taught in the Bible. But the Bible is very clearly, it says this, Genesis 1, 1, and 5, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I want you to pay attention to that. Heaven is singular here. The rest of the time we see heaven, it's plural. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay? So, like I said, heaven here is singular. Then we later see heavens, plural. Basically, God created the one heaven and sliced it up into three different parts. Stay with me. We'll keep getting on that one. But notice this in verse 5. The first day. So that the here in English is called the definite article. This means you're pointing to a very, very specific thing, right? Not an ambiguous thing, but a very specific thing. This is important. How many the first days in history are there? Just one, right? It's really, really important. Um, have you guys ever taken a peek at the Jehovah Witness Bible, the New World Translation? So can someone quote for me John 1.1 in our Bible? Go ahead, sis. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Yep. For those listening at home, my daughter said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? In the New World Translation, they add an indefinite article in it, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Right? And that's how they began their theology of saying Jesus is a type of God um, for Jehovah Witnesses. And that crept in to Genesis early, early on. So it really standed, or started excuse me, um, with Revised Standard Version in about 1814. They ended up thinking that the gap theory, because if you remember what's happening during this timeline, okay, we'll have to go back a bit. So Charles Lyell ends up writing his book on uniformitarian geology. Um, the Christians are kind of freaked out by it, and they say, oh my goodness, so if the earth is millions of years old, we need to make sure the Bible fits this, instead of questioning, maybe they're off on their theory. Maybe the Bible in and of itself is true, and the scientists are a little bit off here. I have a question. Uh, yeah. Unit- hmm Uniformitarian geology, yeah. Okay, was he a Unitarian? Uh, no, he wasn't a Christian at all. I mean, he wasn't even a deist. He was complete atheist. Charles Lyell, yeah. So this is what they ended up saying for the um, Revised Standard Version. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. And the God called the firmament heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. You guys see a problem yet? It started creeping in. See, the gap theory was made up in 1814 by a Scottish preacher by the name of Thomas Chalmers because he was really freaked out by Charles Lyell's book and really wanted to find a way to make sure that the Bible can fit with this new idea. And he had this idea that there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2, and there are millions and or billions of years in between that gap. Even, so here, take a look at this. Uh, We can take a look at the NESV, New Living, Amplified, RSV, ASV. They all say one day, one day, one day. And it creates a very serious problem. Here's what the Schofield Bible says. Anyone have those? My son and I do, the Schofield Reference Bible. It says this in the uh, parenthetical notes. Between the first two verses of Genesis, there is ample scope for all the geologic eras. Yep. They say that there was a pre-Adamite rebellion and judgment of Lucifer and associated angel beings. Was there a pre-Adamite rebellion? When did Lucifer get judged and fall from heaven? See, this idea from the gap theory, in my mind, it it creates a very impotent God, um, a bumbling idiot, basically, because they end up saying that God will have created three worlds. The first one here was destroyed already. So God created Adam and everything. And between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, there was a rebellion. God said, oops, that stinks. I'm going to destroy that world, recreate another one. Here we go. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 6. God says, oops, that world sucks. I'm going to destroy it with a flood, create another one. And here we go now to the end of Revelation where we create a third world. Okay. Does anyone see an issue with that? Does that, does that line up with the God of Scripture? I don't think so. I really don't. James Hutton, in his book, Theory of the Earth, He said the earth is much older than most people thought. So what on earth happened? So 1750, James Hutton's book, The Theory of the Earth, was published. 1795, Thomas Chalmers invented the gap theory and ran around 1814. And then 1859, Darwin's book comes out and meets little resistance from now the neutralized Christians. Because we kind of, back then, we sat on our hands and really didn't do anything about this. Now, in Genesis... Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the, of the deep. 
Now, the Hebrew is tohu wabohu, and it means unformed and unfilled. Now, they get the evidence for this gap theory. They'll go on to Jeremiah, where this phrase is used again. However, it's talking about a destroyed um, nation. And they're saying, see, it was, it was destroyed, because it's, this, it's the absolute same uh, phraseology. It doesn't, we don't have time to get into it too much today, but that verse is not even coming close to talking about creation in Jeremiah. See, this house is unformed and unfilled, but it's not destroyed, right? So you can see it just means empty, not done yet. It doesn't have to mean destroyed. So Romans 5.12, here's a very serious theological problem, right? If you have a pre-Adamite rebellion, millions of years between verses 1 and verses 2, what does Romans 5.12 say? For by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and sin brought forth death, okay? So if you have, when did sin happen in the creation account? Was it between verses 1 and 2? No, not at all. So if you have stuff dying before sin ever even happened, why are we receiving the punishment of something that hasn't even happened yet? That, folks, I'm going to make a bold claim, is a heresy. That is completely against Scripture. It's not true at all. What about this firmament that God talks about? Verse 6. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. So what is this firmament? Some have said, well, maybe it's the dirt. Because the dirt, right, keeps the oceans away from each other. So the firmament must be the dirt. Oh, it's not the dirt. Read down a little bit into verse 20. God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl, birds, that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Have you guys ever seen a bird flying through the dirt? <laughs> Neither have I, at least not on purpose. They do not fly in the dirt. The first heaven is telling us right here, this is where the birds fly, right? And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. And God made the two great lights, the stars also. The second heaven is where the sun, the moon, and the stars are. Now the third heaven, is only mentioned once in scripture, and it's mentioned here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where it says, I knew a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows, such a one caught up to the third heaven. Now the third heaven is where God dwells. So as you see, when God created the heaven, singular in Genesis 1, 1, it was one layer, and then he split it up into three different layers. And here we see it again, Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Wait, so is the Bible telling us that there was water above where the birds fly? It would seem so, or some form of water, right? How about in Psalm 148? Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Huh, that's an interesting phrase. Waters above the heavens. What does that mean? Well, we'll get back to 2 Peter 3 here, where it tells us that the earth's standing in the water and out of the water. Now, that is interesting. So, apparently, when God made the earth, there was a canopy of water or ice above the atmosphere. This is known as the canopy theory, guys, so I'm going to introduce it. It is a theory. Can we prove it? No. Do we have, I mean, we weren't there, right? We can't repeat the scientific process, but this is a theory on how this would work. Isaiah 40, it is he that sits upon the circle of the earth and that stretches out the heavens. Now that is really interesting, that the Bible ends up saying that God 
stretched out the heavens. Well, that's possibly why we have redshift in astronomy, right? And last week, in the previous weeks, we were asking a pretty major question. How is the starlight, the light from the stars, getting here? How can we see it? Well, except I think we have it backwards, now that we're asking that question. The Earth was created, and then the stars, not the other way around. So the question isn't how the stars are, or the question is not how the light from the stars get there to here. The question is how the stars get there from here. Does that make sense? So about the atmosphere. I don't know what it was back then as far as the canopy theory, water, ice, whatnot. It's all gone now. All we can do is make a theory. But the Earth that we do know now has six different layers in its atmosphere, right? So we propose, creation scientists, that there may have been a seventh layer, possibly 10 feet, or excuse me, um, 10 to 20 inches or so of ice suspended above um, the atmosphere at that time. What would that have looked like? What would that have done? So how does that work? We take a look at magnets. It, how does it float above, okay? So if you have one magnet sitting on top of another magnet, you guys ever do this when you're kids and it, and it floats? It's called the Meissner effect. Okay? And it also happens with ice. It's a really cool phenomenon. So what does that end up doing? This ice or water would end up blocking out some of the UV, and it would increase the air pressure at this point on the early planet. So today, the air is about 100 miles thick, okay, from ground to where you start leaving the Earth's atmosphere and enter outer space. So with that, that would have actually squeezed it down to about 20, 10 or 20 miles thick or so, and doubled the air pressure on the surface. Okay, what does that do? By the way, when the space shuttle blasts off, it forms ice clouds, and the ice clouds float to the poles, and they float about 50 miles above the Arctic. The ice clouds that are floating there, they won't fall, apparently they're stuck in the magnetic field. They're recreating the same thing that we believe happened at the beginning. Josephus wrote that the Hebrews believed in an ice layer above the firmament. They already believed it. Now, it doesn't make it true. You can't use that as an argument, guys. You know, we can't create a logical fallacy, you know, um, by applying to the, to the masses. But I think it's very, very interesting that he also placed a crystalline firmament around it. This is another translation of Josephus' book. Okay. It's not the same today as far as the Earth's atmosphere. I believe that the Earth had a layer of water, ice, above the Earth about 10 to 20 inches thick, then a layer of air to breathe, then dirt and rocks to stand on, which is the crust of the Earth. Then below that, the, the water, um, as far as the crust, there was more water underneath the crust of the Earth. And that is what came shooting up through the Earth during the flood. Right here, the Earth is the Lord's, and he that founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Psalm 24.1. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the depth in storehouses. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters. Now the word for earth here is not meaning the entire planet, it's meaning the actual dirt and rocks, the ground on which we're standing on. So that's an interesting way to phrase it, don't you think? So here's our idea of what that ended up looking like. So like I said, you have that uh, original layer of ice or water suspended, then you have the air to breathe on in, then you have the rocks to stand on, and then below that you have another layer of water. By the way, there is still a lot of water in the crust of the Earth. How do we know that? Well, because we have hot water vents opening up in the sea all the time. So here's the idea. If we have hot water vents shooting up into the ocean, it has to be coming from where? Lower than that, right? So that lines up with our theory. 
I think the earth today still has cracks of where it broke open at the time of the flood. The earth is broken up into plates. There is no question about that. We can see the different plates. What happens when those plates move? Called tectonic shift, right? Creates great earthquakes, tsunamis, tidal waves, undersea earthquakes. A lot of damage happens. I lived where I grew up on the San Andreas Fault. There is no question that the earth is broken up and the plates are still moving. But the main question is, when did all this happen? See, in Genesis 7:11, says all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, describing the flood. The evolutionists will tell you that this happened over millions and millions of years ago. The creationists will tell you that this catastrophe probably started at the time of the flood when the fountains of the great deep broke open, that water formed, we end up getting these tectonic plates, these faults, these scars on our planet, okay? And water went shooting to the surface, and it is still here today. So I've had some people ask me, well, Kirk, you're so stupid, then where'd all the water from the flood go? Well, it's still here. The oceans are huge. They're absolutely enormous. How enormous? If you were to smooth out um, the surface of the earth, so I'm talking about, you know, eliminating mountains, everything like that, we can have one solid ocean over it. The amount of water that's in the oceans is enough to cover the entire surface of the planet a mile and a half thick on every single point. It's still here, okay? Um, I remember one time flying over the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii, and I'm just looking at it, and I'm like, wow, this, this ocean is absolutely huge. I mean, this thing's massive. And I made that comment to my buddy um, when I got back in California. He said, yeah, that's just the top of it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. So the original canopy and ice water of the atmosphere of the Earth made during the original creation would have made the Earth like a giant greenhouse, right? Scientists are actually still finding massive amounts of water between the stars in space. This was on Carl Bose, the uh, Dayton Daily News, April 8th, 1998. Water in the space between the stars. How's that possible, right? So they have a new theory about what ended up killing the dinosaurs. Anyone heard this one yet? Not the big asteroid. They have a theory that the lack of oxygen is what ended up killing the dinosaurs. <laughs> Poor old dinosaurs. Right here. Now, when they proposed this theory and they looked at it, and they're saying, well, maybe it's a lack of oxygen that killed the dinosaurs. Well, then they kind of did a rut-row at that point. Then they realized some of the dinosaurs, here's another one, an Apothosaurus. He's 80 feet long, also known as a Brontosaurus, had a set of nostrils about the same size as a modern horse's. In today's environment, that poor guy would be sucking so hard to try and get a breath, you know, he'd probably end up combusting because the, the friction from the air whistling through there would have been so great, and he wouldn't have been able to breathe. But apparently, they were able to breathe because we find thousands and thousands of dinosaur bones all over the planet. We find them in Antarctica, we find them in Alaska, we find them everywhere on the planet. So they were here, and they did breathe. How is that possible, right? I mean, have you guys, anyone been around horses? I, I mean, it's a nostril about this big. Okay, how is an 80-foot-tall animal going to get that much oxygen inside of it with nostrils this big? Well... During the pre-flood time, I believe that they had a canopy of ice or water above the earth and it increased the air pressure and they actually had richer oxygen back then. How many of you have seen the movie Jurassic Park? The first one. Okay, almost everyone here. I think everyone. Now, do you guys remember that really cool scene where they drill into the amber and they find the, uh, the mosquito blood, right? And they're able to extract the dino DNA and they end up making a dinosaur. 
Now, what is amber? Amber is just fossilized tree sap. Do we still find that today? Yeah, we do. We, we absolutely do. But the cool thing, when we end up finding amber, sometimes we find air bubbles trapped inside of it. And we decided to test that. So when they analyzed the air bubbles, they did find that there's about 50% more oxygen in that air bubble than there is in our atmosphere today. Today we're breathing about 21% oxygen and amber bubbles have between 32 and 35% oxygen saturation. That's really, really neat. So did you know if you lived in a world where there was 50% more oxygen and double the air pressure, just breathing would be exciting? <laughs> you have 50% more oxygen and it gets into your bloodstream twice as fast due to the double air pressure. Anyone know what increased oxygen saturation ends up doing for you? Some are laughing in there, so you have an idea. We see here the only trend in the recent literature is the suggestion of far more oxygen in the early atmosphere than anyone ever even imagined. Oxygen deprivation caused dinosaur extinction. So they're going to show us or try and prove inside of our school textbooks that the Earth had more oxygen than it does now. However, the kids will be told in the textbooks that the Earth had no oxygen when it was evolving due to a reducing atmosphere. That is total baloney. That does not fit any of the science. And we'll really get into that in the coming weeks. So if you double the air pressure and add more oxygen, not only does your hemoglobin take on oxygen like it's supposed to, your plasma will get oxygen saturated. Again, does anyone know what's possible if your plasma and hemoglobin are oxygen saturated about twice as much as what they are now? <laughs> you could hold your breath a long time. You could run hundreds of miles without ever even getting tired. The earth was a very, very different place before the flood. So we're going to stop here today because um, I wanted to discuss some, some question and answers because we're going to get into this a lot more in depth. Um, we're not what going to talk about the cherry tomatoes. <laughs> is daddy going to talk about the cherry tomatoes? Okay, I'll give you guys a preview of, of next, next time, okay? So here we're talking about this atmosphere um, that is oxygen saturated and double the atmospheric pressure. It's kind of like a giant greenhouse in there. It forms what's called a hyperbaric chamber. Has anyone ever heard of that? Okay. Um, a lot of us in this room were old enough to remember baby Jessica in Texas. Remember what happened? She was four years old. She fell down a well, ended up basically doing the splits down the well, was stuck there for about 48 hours. And uh, her one entire leg all the way up to her hip ended up going necrotic. Now, when the rescuers pulled her out, they had just started to develop this hyperbaric technology. It's in all the NFL teams and everything. It promotes very, very rapid healing. So they stuck her in that hyperbaric chamber um, for a few hours. They thought they were gonna have to amputate everything from the hip down and she just ended up losing a little piece of her middle toe. How's that? It's fantastic. Now my daughter wants to, um, me to bring up, because I guess you're not gonna be here next week, sis? No? Okay. Um, in Japan, they decided to test this theory. Has anyone ever grown cherry tomato plants? Yes, <laughs> little guys, right? So what they did is they grew a cherry tomato plant in Japan inside this enclosure, with the, and they doubled the, uh, or increased the oxygen and doubled the atmospheric pressure in it. Okay, and we know the size of cherry tomatoes, and we know how many we can end up getting, maybe a few dozen throughout the year or so. In one year, this cherry tomato plant grew to be over 55 feet tall and produced over 50,000 softball-sized tomatoes in one year. Now, the Earth was an extremely different place back then. 
right? If this theory holds true, which I believe it does. I absolutely do. Any questions? Like I said, I don't, we'll get more and more in depth in this. Yeah, Mary. Was, was it because it was oxygen under pressure with nitrogen and everything else and still balances so that you don't end up with too much oxygen? <laughs> well, sort of. Um, it, 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 we also see this happening when hikers go and climb Everest, right? So when you get on base camp, what's the elevation for base camp? The elevation for base camp is like 17,500 feet, okay? I've never even been that high, and that's base camp for Everest. So they have the Sherpas, the guys that help them climb Everest, and these guys run, literally, like, run up and down this mountain all the time with no effects. It's because they are acclimatized to that. They, they've grown up in that, so they're used to that increased atmospheric pressure, right, and decreased oxygen load. So my point with that is we can see that happening today, and it would probably happen in reverse, you know, 6,000 years ago, right? Die, oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. We would definitely die if we, if we were to switch that atmospheric pressure <laughs> immediately. Yep. But if that is our environment in which we're born, in which we're accustomed and, and growing into, yeah. Um, again, another bit of a preview because people ask, what about dinosaurs? I mean, how did, how did this end up happening for dinosaurs? Do you guys know every reptile never stops growing during its entire lifetime? A reptile does not stop growing. Imagine if you have a reptile living to be about 900 years old. What would you have? Yep, a really big lizard. And increased oxygen. <laughs> and increased oxygen and atmospheric pressure. Yeah, you would have some very interesting critters. And maybe all that <laughs> So Mary brought up junk DNA. I love that because a lot of the evolutionary biologists have proposed that humans have junk DNA, which is stuff that we don't need, what they call we have um, vestigial organs or, or parts that are just no longer needed. For example, our, our coccyx, our tailbone, they say that is a complete vestigial organ. You absolutely don't need that. I remember talking to a fellow one time and, and he ended up saying that. I said, well, if you truly believe you don't need that, I, Sean Kirk, will pay to have yours removed. <laughs> he did not for that because, where's Mike when I need him, um, the, the coccyx, the tailbone, there are some very important muscles that attach to that for some very important bodily functions on a daily basis, okay? It is not useless. <laughs> we do need it. So that idea that we're just made up of random parts that we don't need, again, is, is another bit of hogwash and it doesn't make any sense. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, yeah, in, in the next coming weeks, we'll really dive deeper into this. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this, this whole creation talk that I give usually takes about 17 hours, so it's a, it's a lot of material. Um, we're not gonna do it all at once, I promise. So any other materials, or not materials, uh, questions, sorry. We answered all the world's problems. That's oh, amazing. Make you a house that's extra pressurized. <laughs> make you a house that's extra pressurized. <laughs> that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Slowly, slowly, slowly bringing up the pressure. Yeah. Yes. Think about some of the theories of like the whole Earth kind of stuff. I've heard some stuff that is intriguing. I don't know if it's true or. Yeah. Um, so the question for those listening at home is, what do I think about some of the theories for the hollow Earth and and whatnot? I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't spent too much time in it. Um, based on what we see, it, it doesn't make sense because, okay, we have drilling. We have uh, drilling for oil and we've gone down thousands of feet and still hit solid, right? 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of feet. So, you know, at, at what point does the Earth become hollow? We do know because what causes magnetism? Well, you have to have something hot and, and spinning, right? Like, like the Earth's core, and that creates our magnetic field. So we know at least that part, you know, um, is, is liquid and not fully formed. And we went over weeks ago as the Earth's magnetic field is uh, gradually weakening and shifting. So we know that hot core is either slowing down or getting cooler, probably both. Um, which points to a creation, right? That, not that it always has been. So as far as the hollow core, I don't think that holds any validity just based on what we've seen, to be honest, but good question. Yeah, Mary. I don't remember if they're called gamma rays or something else, but they use it to tell um, whether mountains, how big the, uh -huh. the chamber is. But it's actually from the, sorry, from the sun or something like that. So it actually shoots all the way through the earth and they can read them. You're right. How many come through and they actually use those to map out. The, the, the sure. So I think there'd be something there mattering the speed of which those yeah. travel. There's and, and we've used ground penetrating radar. If you guys were here last week, you remember the Lost Squadron, right? That we use ground penetrating radar to find in, in Greenland. So yeah, we don't really see hollowness um, in there per se. So any other questions, guys? Yes. Yeah. Uh, have you ever listened to Admiral Byrd and his expedition uh -uh. to Antarctica? No. Which, well, I, I might have. I, I listen and read a lot of stuff. I'm getting older. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, um, but, but not, not only that. So we'll get into that probably next week. Um, so when we're talking about the, the fountains of the deep breaking up, right? So the amount of pressure that that creates is absolutely astounding. So if you take a look at the rock pressure, it creates about 5,600 pounds per square inch, right, of, the, of this water. And if you slowly form a fissure or a crack in it, the pressure released from that is so insane, it's enough to launch rocks into outer space. So, I mean, if you can imagine, kind of picture this idea of when the Great Flood happened, right? We have the, the rains coming down because that's what ended that canopy. So that canopy broke and rained down. And we also have the fissures opening up from the ground and shooting that water with just ash, literally astronomical force through. I mean, you wanna talk about a cataclysmic flood. Wow, yeah, it was, it was absolutely of biblical proportions, not to you know, steal that pun, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was enormous what would have happened. Again, next week we'll, we'll get into that, but we are seeing in space the meteorites that we end up hitting and coming raining back down on the ground are made of earthly um, materials. And we're like, how is that possible? How is earth material into space? And there's, that's one theory that's quite makes sense. It just shot stuff right up into space. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Before the, the rover sent back, um, yeah, samples. Yeah. But let's pray, guys, and then we'll, we'll get us out of here and get our kiddos. Father, thank you so much again for this day and that we can just gather and, and worship you. Um, we love your words so much, and we love that uh, we can freely study it 
and that we do have men that have gone before us and, and come up with these ideas and have uh, just held the truth of your word. Let us have boldness to go out and to be able to witness and share with everyone in our coming week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.